This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to the Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. LGBTIQ spoken word events from Australia and from around the world. I'm Dean, and this is the Cheap Seats Podcast Edition. Thanks for joining me. In this podcast, we are in the front row for the second Indian LGBT Youth Leadership Summit. The summit was organised by Mingle, which is the Mission for Indian Gay and Lesbian Empowerment, and the event was held in Mumbai in 2015. Mingle is a gay and lesbian non-profit think tank and advocacy group working towards an India where all citizens enjoy their fundamental right to lead a secure and dignified life, irrespective of sexual orientation and gender identity. The theme of their 2015 summit was Building Alliances for LGBT Empowerment in India. You can find out more about the event and details about the panellists on our website. But for now, let's grab our seats and join me in the cheap seats on Joy 94.9. I think given the topic that we are discussing today, this is one of the best panels that we could have hoped for. So thanks to each one of you for being here today. So this year as a group, as a team, we were discussing what should be the theme of the discussion, what should be the theme of the summit itself. Uh, We realized that last year we focused more internally on the LGBT community. So this year, why not look outside, look beyond the community, look towards our straight allies, because they're also an important component of our LGBT rights movement in India. And really, because we are a democracy, and we are such a small minority, probably less than 10%, we need the support of that 90% to make that impact in terms of asking for our empowerment and our equal rights. And that is where straight allies become that much important. And of course, Nisa and Mira are great vocal allies of the LGBT community. So uh, the panel discussions uh, format is fairly simple. I think we'll start off for a couple of minutes with each of the uh, panelists sharing their thoughts on this issue, on the issue of allies of the LGBT community. What is the importance and how we can sort of take this conversation forward. After that, I have a few questions with me. And beyond that, I think we'll open it up for the audience for an interaction. So if I can ask all of the panelists to share your thoughts on this topic. Okay, well, uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, Parmesh, thank you for the introduction to Uden. Uden, thank you for the invitation. And Ratnesh, where are you? Thank you for bringing me here. So it's really very nice to be here for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think the first is a very selfish reason. I received a lot of support from the LGBT community, particularly Parmesh, Harish, people like that when I stood for elections in 2009. And I can share with you at that time, I felt very alone because when I decided to stand for elections, other than my uh, family and my very close friends, everybody thought I was completely crazy. So at that time, you know, you, uh, you had to be a criminal or you had to be a son or daughter of a politician or you had to be a celebrity sports person or film star to want to join politics. And it was hard for people to imagine anyone else, you know, entering that space. And a bit like what Parmesh was saying in the last session, what you then tend to do, no matter who you are and if you ever feel isolated, what you try and do is you reach out and build alliances. 
and I was very grateful for the support that I got from the LGBT community who came forward in, in a very generous way. When I was thinking about this panel discussion, I was just putting my thoughts together and I said, I probably you young people have been discussing this. I don't know what you have been discussing over the last uh, two days, but I would imagine that there are three areas which you probably want to touch on. One is clearly the whole legal space and what is happening in that sphere in India. The second probably is the political space. And then the third, which is you know where we walked in when you were having your discussion in the last session, is the whole social space. So let me just briefly share my thoughts in terms of the legal arena. And I think in some ways, uh, India has taken some steps forward. And in some ways, we have been extremely regressive. So I think it's interesting that we are probably one of the few countries, but correct me if I'm wrong, Ashok, you probably have a more deeper understanding. Uh, we are one of the few countries which recognizes and gives the right to vote to the third gender. I don't believe there are too many countries which do that. I also believe, and I don't know how you view this, but I believe in 2014, the Supreme Court ruled that the, and I'm just going to just read this off uh, exactly. I think the ruling was that the transgender community will be treated as socially and economically backward and entitled to reservations and instructed the union and state government to consider them this way. Now, I don't know whether you consider reservations to be a positive thing or a negative thing because many people have a view on it. But certainly having interacted with many people of the Hijra community, I feel uh, that they are probably the most marginalized and most ostracized people in our country. And yet they have a great generosity of spirit. I mean, I have seen them come forward uh, in both my campaigns to support me and including in the recent Delhi campaign. They really, uh, you know, full-heartedly came forward to support the Ahmadmi Party as well. Those are, I would say, probably on the positive sides in terms of what, uh, what is happening in the legal framework. Certainly, the decision by the Supreme Court to overturn the High Court judgment on Section 377, I think, is a most retrograde step. I uh, simply cannot imagine how the, you know, Justice Mukhopadhyay and Singhvi actually made that judgment. But as we were discussing uh, with Ratnesh and the car on the way here, in one sense, it was positive because there was such a lot of media attention on it that it brought the issue to the forefront. Uh, I understand that media across the board absolutely supported it. And it allowed, uh, it allowed a lot of discussion uh, on something which otherwise was swept under the carpet. And it's forced people to take a stand, which I think is good. And it's forced people to reevaluate their position. I'm very hopeful that this will be overturned because I, I don't believe this is, uh, this is just a question of legality. I believe this is a question of human rights. And I think what we are systematically seeing in this country is a suppression of human rights but also of freedoms and uh, across the board, uh, which, is, which is really retrograde in many ways. I do believe that India is a fundamentally tolerant and liberal country. But increasingly, there are pockets of people who are illiberal, who are governing the discourse and turning it away from what is, what is liberal. I mean, whether it's a simple thing as to whether what you can say on, uh, on social media, what you can say in films, what is censored, how long you can keep bars open. I mean, cutting across a variety of things, there's, there's many, many freedoms which are being suppressed, which I believe are unconstitutional. And the decision on Section 399, I think, squarely falls in that space. 
So that's, I think, on the legal side, I think there's a big battle to be fought. And uh, I'm confident that, that you will win it. It's, it's a question of time because the tide of time and of public opinion certainly is in the favor of, of uh, you know, repealing that. Then I was just doing a little bit of homework in the political space to say, actually, uh, how has, has this played out? And I think it's really, really interesting that uh, we, we've had actually uh, quite a lot of people from the LGBT community, particularly from the transgender community, who have uh, made quite a bold statement in the political space. Of course, there is Madhu uh, uh, Bai Kinar, who, is, who was selected on the 4th of January 2015 as the mayor of Raigarh in Chhattisgarh. Uh, in 2000, there was Shabnam Mausi, who was elected as an MP, and prior to that as an MLA. And then there have been a variety of uh, people who have stood for elections, some of them unsuccessfully, some of them successfully. But it is, it is a statement. I mean, they have stood as who they are, and they have been elected uh, on the grounds of being good representatives of people. I think that in itself is a very, very powerful statement. Uh, it's, it is probably very hard for them to have done what they have done, but I think their success is all the more remarkable for that. And then I think we come to the social space. And the one thing I would like to share with you is that some issues and some problems are actually universal. And I'll just share a small anecdote. Um, as you may know, I'm, uh, I'm on Hillary Clinton's Council of International Women Business Leadership. And uh, many of the discussions that you, know, you have within your community are also held within women's forums because many parts of the world, including uh, in India, uh, the issue of women's empowerment is a matter of debate, discussion, and a lot needs to be done. So this was this, you know, this was an aha moment for me when Hillary was talking about it, and she said, she says, you know, uh, the woman is the primary caregiver, and uh, when I go home and the dishes are not washed, I don't tell Bill he should wash the dishes. I do it. And I was looking at her and saying, this is one of the most powerful women in the world. And yet, uh, you know, these, she recognizes that these are women's issues. So uh, I think, you know, her famous statement was human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights. I think we can say that of the LGBT community as well. LGBT community's rights are human rights and human rights are LGBT rights. And that's what we should find. I'm actually here today because of Parmesh and Odayan. Uh, when I walked in about a half an hour earlier, there was all this conversation going on and I was a bit worried because I understood about 50%, so I don't have anything particularly insightful, uh, insightful or very clever to say. But um, it, I think the question and why you all here is about alliances. And uh, from my experience of the change that, you know, Parmesh was talking about at Godrej is really led because someone stood up and said, let's change these things. Um, and that wasn't me. That was actually Parmesh. And when he joined us about four years ago, and just as a little bit of a preface, I think um, 
Godridge is a 118-year-young organization, and I think one of the things that I'm most proud of and, you know, why I come to work here is that, you know, we've always been, um, we always believe in doing what's right and what's good and what's fair. So, you know, on this issue of, um, you know, women are equal, your sex, whatever your sexuality doesn't matter, neither does your religion. I think that's really important. But when Parmesh came in, he, you know, he actually looked at something as simple as our policies and he was like, you know, like, <laughs> it says spouse. Why does it not just say partner? And if you think about it, it's a, just a really simple thing. And we were like, hey, why don't you take a look at it and change it, correct? And through that, um, we, we looked at uh, like things like adoption, so it wasn't like the mother. So these are very, very simple things, correct? But it's who starts them and who leads them. So um, I think that's really important. The same way that Udayan, Udayan Singh, can we sponsor this? festival can we hold mingle here this is not so i think if you all are working in organizations i think that becomes very important to stand up and say you know i'd really like to change the and you know you'd be surprised people would be quite open to it uh, i want to change the policy i want to do something i want to make this a conversation um, within whatever organization i am in and the second piece is, is while you're working on these rights, on these alliances, at least from a, from a corporate point of view, I think it's very important that you will get this voice, you will be able to change the policies, at least if you were in a corporate, if you're also very good at what you're doing. So I'd also focus on that, correct? Parmesh and Odayan, get a large voice in Godridge. It has nothing to do with their sexuality. It has to do that they bring a lot of value to work uh, every day. So uh, think in whatever organizations you are, um, you know, if you, I think you should push the organization. Uh, don't always expect someone uh, very senior at the top to bring about change. In, instead of this sort of opening speech, I'll, I'll throw a couple of wild cards around so that, you know, it'll make you think. I still remember that um, between the two judgments, the Delhi High Court judgment and the Supreme Court judgment, a lot of us were worrying exactly what the panel discussion is all about. How do we build allies? And uh, in that time period, I remember being called to Delhi for um, a meeting of the Ministry of Health. And uh, when I went there, my older boss, uh, Sujata Rao, who was the Director General of the National AIDS Control Organization, uh, she called me and said, uh, you know, as a gay activist, you've really failed. And I was quite shocked because she was the person who had always taken my inputs and I, I wondered where that came from. So I asked her, what happened, Sujata? Why are you so upset? She said, see, after the Delhi High Court judgment, you relied too much on thinking that the judiciary has become your ally. And it hasn't. That was a a flash in the pan and your job was to really get in more allies on your side and you should have done your advocacy right with members of parliament with the parliamentary representatives of every uh, sort of district in this country and got some sort of parliamentary uh, sort of resolution passed that would back the Delhi High Court judgment and therefore you would be sort of spreading your reach wider and you would have broader support 
not only would it have been a judicial thing, but not the Supreme Court judgment would never have happened. They wouldn't have dared do it. Or at least, it, at least he wouldn't have, uh, Justice Sangvi wouldn't have had the short-term stupidity to call you a minuscule minority. Because you would have ha uh, be, uh, have your faces everywhere in Parliament. You, now, uh, she said it. See, after the Delhi High Court judgment, there was this huge implosion in the press, in the media. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody appropriated it. You know, as they say, success has many fathers. And so, so everybody wanted to co-opt us. But after the uh, Supreme Court judgment, if you see, maybe only the certain members of the press, and I still say not the whole press. If you look at the vernacular press, you know, the Hamsafa Trust has done uh, a very deep analysis of the vernacular press, the lang uh, what we call the language press, and the English press. And if you, you they're stunningly antagonistic positions. You know, all, every editorial in the Hindi and Marathi, um, uh, this uh, media, is against us. And interestingly, the English press is with us. So there is definitely a contradiction here in this country. So when you say it's a progressive judgment, the Delhi High Court judgment is, is being quoted all over the world. And at the same time, the Supreme Court judgment, is regressive though it is, it's shameful because it has no, got no connect to the Delhi High Court judgment. Uh, Justice Singhvi doesn't seem to have read the affidavits that were presented in court, in the Delhi High Court. He doesn't even talk about uh, female sexuality as such. He doesn't talk about women's issues. He's just sort of swept us away as a minuscule minority. So back to uh, square one, who are our allies? Now, it depends where exactly in the time location cluster, that is, I think, a term in marketing that you would know, uh, where in time location clusters are we placed? If you're in academia, then you're right in choosing your partners and, and, and your allies. You, go, you start working right across academia. If you're where you are, as we are activists, we need to look at who are the gatekeepers. You know, The gatekeepers for any projects I run is the public health system, is the medical system, is the corporate st sector. I need to sensitize them, but I think if we became a little more selfish, you'll find that the first allies we really need on our side are our families and our parents. So we must look at something from the viewpoint of PFLAG, what the Americans call it, the parents and you know uh, allies of uh, the LGBT. And surprisingly, when we started the movement, we started approaching the parents. There were so few parents who wanted to be with us. It showed that the LGBT movement had not really progressed very far. If you can't convince your parents about who you are, you're not getting very far, are you? And it was the great actress Chitra Palekar who started the P-flag in Bombay. So until you are able to be allies with people closest to you, I don't think this movement is going to go forward. I uh, forget about the fact that you know you have to work across intersectoral uh, fronts. Forget the fact that corporate India definitely will look at you as a market. That they will see that there are certain skills. For example, in the workplace, LGBT people do get a point of view that widens the market space. There's just no doubt that there are enough 
uh, uh, sort of surveys conducted that the pink dollar or the pink rupee is a very important factor. And the corporate sector is looking at it, the way the packaging is going, the way uh, the marketing is going. They understand that there is a, a, you know, a gay market out there. I mean, look at Bollywood. Although it could be an ally and the top, I mean, all the four important directors are gay. We won't mention them. Uh, but look at the way they treat the issues, you know. I have to say hats off to Karan that he did dostana, you know, because I think if it comes too much out of the closet, he'll fall over somewhere, right? But the point is he has attempted it uh, because until now, whatever little analysis we've done of Bollywood, they are so ashamed of sexuality and male sexuality out there that to talk about it was a problem. And I think Karan did it. So you are getting serious scripts now. I am seeing in Bollywood, uh, you know, uh, the other great guy who's a big problem for me is Madhur Bandarkar, who uh, unfortunately happens to be my nephew. And he conflates homosexuality with pedophilia. And then when I sat him down and I asked him what it was all about, I found out there's a very dark history there. So, you know, we need to talk to people who we know build alliances with them. And I think the first alliances are our families, our siblings, then our classes, academia as such. Although I think academia can go off in wild tangents. Uh, the other movements, like the feminist movement, which I think has lost its way, definitely the women are on our side. I mean, uh, all my women friends say that, you know, I'm sick and tired of the straight guys. Thank God I've got you. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we give a different perspective on the straight men. So I do think that it's time that the gay movement built alliances, but these alliances have to be extremely smart. Not everybody's on your side. There's, there's an ingrained homophobia everywhere. We must, ex we must respect that too. Because behind that homophobia are, are other phobias. You know, they may be... There may be neurotic elements there. There may be people who don't want to face their sexuality at all. We must deal with it. The Cheap Seats for LGBTIQ spoken word events from Melbourne and the world. Every Thursday night at 10pm on Joy 94.9. As an influential political leader and also a very strong ally of the LGBT community, what advice or what message would you give to the vocal leaders of the LGBT community, our youth leaders here today, so that they can do something to make LGBT rights an issue that actually matters to our Indian politicians? Because till now, we haven't got anything beyond maybe a few sympathetic words. I, th I think that's a really good question. I mean, you know, it was interesting to me during the elections, uh, especially the 2014 elections, to see how this was, uh, was playing out. And the different political parties took different positions on it. Uh, one thing which I think you need to know is that the only thing that matters to politicians is votes. And, uh, you know, a lot, of that, a lot of that discourse was being directed by that. I mean, there were a few people who took uh, a principal stand. I mean, someone who I was standing against, for example, Milindira, I think took a principal stand on it. He came out very strongly in favor of LGBT rights. And I respect him for that. You know, I think that was, a, that was a good thing to do. But a lot of people, 
and a lot of people in the mainstream political parties to whom the matter is either irrelevant. Uh, it's not as if a lot of politicians have very strong views on anything. I mean, that's a very interesting thing. It's not that they have a principled view on anything. But they look at the public opinion and say, where is the public opinion going? And if the public opinion is in favor of something, then they will take a stand in favor of that. So I think the way to deal with it is really to play on this, you know, then I think what you, what you have to do, and I find uh, Ashok's comments quite interesting, is, uh, is perhaps co-opt leading journalists and, uh, and, you know, people who are influencers. For example, the Satyameva Jayate, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, whole program by Amir Khan has an enormous power. I mean, you know, each of his programs really makes an impact. So what, what I would do is I would really play this as, uh, and it's going a bit back to the earlier discussion, you build the alliance not with, uh, not with specific sector groups but on a principle. And the principle to me is one of uh, freedoms. It's, it's am I free or am I not free to practice what I believe? It's like, uh, you know, Nisa said, in, in, in this environment, are we creating a diverse work culture? You know, you go into the broader principles. Is this a country where you have freedom of belief, you have freedom of, of what you want to do? Is this that type of country? You know the Rabindranath uh, Thakur thing. Let, let my country awake into that kind of uh, situation. And build that. I mean, continuously build that. Because, uh, as I said, I feel the, the, the favor of time is in, in your favor. A lot of things are, you can influence the discourse. Young people basically want freedoms. This, if you ally it to that dialogue, then it is part of that larger, uh, larger story. Thank you, Meera Ashok. I'm going to ask you to respond to that very soon. But before that, I'll ask Nisa a couple of questions. So Nisa, one of the fallouts of the Section 377 judgment was that a lot of organizations in India kind of rolled back their LGBT diversity and inclusion initiatives. But Godrej took a principle stand that, okay, we are going to continue with our inclusivity for LGBT employees no matter what the law says in terms of whether it's mandated or it's not mandated. So can you share with us what is the conviction that led to Godrej taking such a stand? And also, I am sure that it would not have been possible without a strong ally like you. So how can we have more allies like you in corporate India? Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy you're so flattering of me, but I, I don't think it was, frankly, I don't think there's anything to roll back. Uh, I think it's quite simple, especially if you're an old organization, the only way that you'll flourish is if you allow new ideas to come in, if you allow dissent, if you allow change. How do you allow that? You allow people with different points of view. How do you get people with different points of view? You don't only have 50-year-old men in your organization. It's quite a simple thing, correct? You encourage diverse. If you want to encourage diversity of thought and innovation, you need to have all sorts of people in your organization and not discriminate by religion, gender, um, sexuality. So, I don't think there was any. We were not. I, I don't think we were taking a stand. We were just doing what's right for our organization. Um, and and like I said before, I think um, I think we exist as an organization. You know. Yes, to make profits, to grow, to do all that. But I think um, we also exist to do the right thing. That's, I think, our right to exist over 100 years. So I think uh, it's from there. And what was the second part? Of so it? how can we have more allies like you in corporate India? Not oh. just in Godrej, but across companies. <laughs> I wish I had that answer. <laughs> um, so I think what I said earlier on, if any of you are in corporates, uh, you know, do 
do your work well, stand out based on that, and then use your voice, correct? Stand up and speak out. I think um, just, you know, what you mentioned about Karan, or, we, know, we do know that they're also very, there are gay, very senior business people in India also, correct? I mean, perhaps one day convincing one of them to write a Tim Cook type of article. I think it's a slow burn, but I think that's how also change will come. But I think individually, um, you know, I really liked what you said. It starts with your parents. It starts with you. D- don't expect everyone else to stand up and shout for your rights if you're not doing it first. So I think start right around you uh, first and in any organization you work. I think that's a great point. The onus, after all, lying with LGBT people themselves and then probably allies come as a second step. So Ashok, you heard both. No, I, I was quite touched when uh, Mira said she, uh, she, uh, she looked at the good side of politicians. I don't know how many of you uh, heard the Rajas Sabha debate yesterday on the transgender bill, uh, rights bill. And there was this, uh, I was immediately on my Facebook, you know, I was seeing it. And there's this wonderful guy, uh, MP from uh, Uttar Pradesh, called Vishambar uh, Prasad Nishad. I, I couldn't make out whether he's from the Samajwadi Party or for the BSP. But he started this incredible conversation, and this is in Parliament, huh? Rajya Sabha. If it looks about it, it's something else. Uh, I found out, I googled and I found out he is uh, MA in Literature, and he's got a LLB. So it's, he's uh, obviously you can buy degrees now from what he said. Because he said, uh, he said, uh, he said that, you know, hijras, uh, he really sympathized with them. But really you don't, do you ever see hijras in hospitals? Because when they clap, they do a form of acupuncture. He, call, he called it aquapuncture. And, uh, and he said that they get cured that way. And then the, there was another person, and that's why you, and that's why you don't see hijras in hospitals, if you only knew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know. Okay, all of you are healthy, but the other one, but, but the other one from the BSP, I didn't know his name, but I was laughing so much because he said, "Do you know really why they don't you do, don't get hijras falling sick? Because they do so much namaz and bhajan." <laughs> So now, uh, for your information, uh, Godrej and uh, good old Parmesh, just behind you at our city mall, behind the our city mall, is one of the largest Hijra uh, uh, conglomerations. My guru sits there, Arunama. Now, the interesting part is every week we have at least one Hijra there. There are around 1,600 Hijras living there. And every week we have one or two hijras dying of AIDS. Nobody, uh, taking them to hospital is a huge problem because in the hospitals they don't know which ward to put them in, male or female. So we have to fight all the time with the superintendent to put them in, in a male. They are afraid of being put in the male ward because they might be raped. And in the female ward, the women don't like want them around. So there's no way, uh, you know, we have to fight to put them in the general ward, and by then they're half dead. And we have to see that they are, you know, those little curtain uh, partitions that you get. But they don't even, even then, they don't keep them for the simple reason no ward boy will touch them. So to, to see the reality, 
and to see what is happening in the Rajya Sabha was so saddening for me. And I, I really vented yesterday on, on Facebook, you know. So that's one side of it, the reality. Now the other side of it is, I don't know how many of you have read the Nalsa judgment that gives them identity rights. Has anybody read it? Yeah. No, the interesting part of the Nalsa judgment is taking huge parts from Hamsafar's history on uh, hijras. That's fine. Good luck to them. But the section 377 finds a mention on page 96 of the judgment. And he says something silly. The judge, uh, he's living in a dream world. He says, really, uh, section 377 is much abused and misused on hijras. It's not. It's used properly because it concerns anal sex. So the judgment is actually a figment of his imagination. Thank God they've got their rights. But it is not based on reality. The fact is that they are still being arrested, they're still being beaten up, and there is this huge disconnect with what is happening on the field, what is happening in our uh, you know, institutions like the judiciary and parliament. And we don't seem to know, as the LGBT movement, which side we should go, turn to. Again, who, do, who are our allies? Now, someone like me has worked in UNAIDS and we had three workshops for judges of the district courts, for the state, uh, you know, the state high courts, not the Supreme Court. And Justice A.P. Shah of the Delhi High Court was in one of our collegiums. And I can, cannot imagine the amount of homophobia that the judges... Uh, you know, were exhibiting. One of the judges stood up and when I was doing my presentation said that, you know, you are a homosexual because you masturbated too much when you were young. <laughs> this is a 60-year-old judge. And I said, sir, would you give me a little bit of respect? I am 55. And if you're telling me I'm still masturbating, I'm very sorry. You know, this is the conversations that we have to have all the time. And thank God for that silly judge. The other judges came up and apologized for him. So, you know, we had built alliances there. Justice A.P. Shah was the first person who said, thank God you put him in his place because none of us can stand this judge. So what I mean to say is you have to get down in the battlefield. You know, all of you guys, again, women too. And I know the women are going to have a tougher job. Look at what my friend Indira Jaising is going through every... She's on Facebook. She just got off Facebook last week because she was being abused for the Priya Pillay case and also because she took a stand against Udin on the rape uh, documentary. Now a lot of stuff is coming out. Good old Shobha has today torn Udin to pieces. But again, I plead with you that choose your allies with great care because you don't know when they'll turn against you. I don't want a Nishad to tell me that I don't have genitals. He said that, can you imagine that uh, uh, the, 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 the members of the Rajya Sabha are saying things like, we don't know the difference between hijras and homosexuals. Huh? We have worked with these men. We have worked with the members of parliament. We have pleaded with them. We have given them definitions of who hijras are, who are transgender. And here's a man with a uh, an MA in literature and LLB saying that to me. It's, it's on record. So who are our allies? Back again.
You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. I have a few more questions with me, but I think it's a good time to sort of uh, move to the audience and uh, see if they have any comments, any questions, or any ideas that they want to share. So, can we have a quick show of hands? Can you? Uh, introduce yourself quickly, your name, and uh, which question, which panelist you are addressing your question to, and the question as well. Yeah, so this uh, question is uh, to Ashok. Uh, Ashok, uh, you have such a deep and wide experience spanning so many decades in this whole field. And what would you say uh, to these youth uh, LGBT leaders is at the very heart of building healthy alliances? You know, what is required of them? so that they can actually build healthy alliances? That's not an easy question. Okay. I know. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. Then falling in love with the guy would be a nice way. <laughs> no, I think deep trust and some sort of uh, feeling with proof, of course, that the person will be fair and has some sense of equity. You know, I've seen people... Uh, who talk a great deal about revolution, but uh, employ children in their house. So, heaven forbid, I would never trust people like that. But I've had very conservative people, for example, when I say that we should have uh, allies at home. Uh, my mother, for example, she was a very conservative woman who was approached by uh, Pramod Navalkar, the czar of the Shiv Sena, and uh, he came to the house and told my mother that you should ask your son to change his name because he's bringing shame to the family. And um, my mother was educated in the Ramon Roy School, one of the first Marathi schools in Bombay, and she spoke classical Marathi. So she, she spoke to him in beautiful Marathi. I was in my bedroom, petrified of coming out. And she told him very politely that, see, this is, you have come to my house and I have, I am... It's mandatory for me to give you tea. But please remember, this will be the last time I shall give you tea. <laughs> I also have a question. I wanted to ask, what were the initial challenges that you faced while bringing the change? I mean, like you said that you hired him, but then it, it couldn't have gone uh, like that, right? So what were the initial challenges that you had there to face? There were no challenges, correct? To, I mean, to change a policy. Like I'm saying, there will be, obviously there will be organizations that are bigoted. I've, I've had conversations with senior people who've said, you know, you know, we don't want our daughters to go to, uh, daughters to go to, I've had someone actually say, we don't want our daughter to go to business school because then she'll, she won't get married like you. I got married quite late. So people have these views. You just, uh, you just have to learn how to ignore them. But within our organization, it, wa it was more an act of omission than an act of commission. Correct, because no one's actually standing up and saying that we should do this. Correct, and people have a lot going on in their life. So if you if you ask in your organisation, so you ask people, you'll be surprised to see how many people uh, do want to be part of it or do want to help. Because um, I spoke earlier as well about what we were doing, and a lot of questions that I got was that perhaps you came in at a senior level or you came in because the family interviewed you and so you came in at a point where you could create change with support from the top. Do you have any advice to people who maybe don't have that entry point of, you know? Well, let's talk about uh, 
you know that example that actually so Udayan works on diversity and he was saying in one of our one of our businesses if i'm uh, correct it was in our real estate business there was he was speaking uh, to a few people and you know they were commenting about someone in hr being very insensitive i don't remember what exactly the story was but it was it it was insensitive insensitive but it could have been borderline on the person just trying to make a joke but so i said why don't you ask that person who is this you know and um i think the person was gay ask this person to go and talk to that hr person you know let them know what they feel uh you know say maybe come out i don't know if you didn't want to come out but see how you feel correct and maybe that way change would happen uh, i don't think that happened but we are also now talking about if we hear of these stories in our communication can we communicate it out so i think you need to i think people also need to take that personal accountability and personal risk correct otherwise how will change uh, change happen i think ram has a question how are corporates um, uh, legally impacted by section 377 and the second question is uh, we have that corporate ranking of great place to work in india how to make it more inclusive to add parameters to see that lgbt inclusion is also a parameter to judge a corporate on its great place to work okay so the section 377 i only know that it doesn't affect corporates because yesterday i messaged udayan and said please just give me a summary of section 377 again so i had no idea but apparently maybe you can share that there's no issue for a right so like nisa said uh, technically section 377 does not even deal with the issue of corporates having any initiative to have a more inclusive lgbt a more lgbt inclusive workplace so it totally deals with a particular sexual act that is where it starts and that is where it ends it does not talk about organizations whether it's governments ngo organizations or even corporate organizations taking any initiative in terms of diversity or inclusion or any hr policy it does not even begin to go there uh on the great places to work that's a very good suggestion i'm not sure if any sort of lgbt things are included i know diversity ones are included but that's a great suggestion and maybe something we can look at and suggest to them uh, also yeah no i was quite touched with what uh, ashok said about you know freedom really starts within your own family it took me about 15 years <laughs> to come out to my parents i told them but then coming out is coming out and coming out and a large part of that struggle was actually because i was a woman you know and there are all these expectations especially when you're part of an indian family but i would say when that f- process finally completed i felt invincible because i had their love and support and so for today in india my issue is actually for me not being lgbt i don't you know i don't allow myself be, to be persecuted but at the same time i don't feel that I have to declare it when I walk into a room. You know, I just kind of assume that people know and if even if they don't it's okay. But I would say that the major issue I face in India today is being a woman. You know, most of the oppression that I face is being a woman. And sometimes I can't help but think that because some of the amazing activists that we have in this country for LGBT rights are men, that and I see and I look around the room and I see mostly men, that the fight for even gay men and queer men in this country also has to be for the rights of women. Yeah, you were saying that, and I just I, want to I reiterate that. that. Yeah. I always say that if it, uh, if we, if we ha- don't stand up for women, uh, then uh, we are not LGBT. Uh, it's it's very it's very simple. As a gay man, uh, I just can't imagine that I cannot stand for women's rights. It, 
it doesn't seem feasible. It doesn't make any sense. Because the, the whole stand against heteronormativity or patriarchal systems starts with the fact that you respect women on a certain basis, and that's only then only you can take up that other challenge. So I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm being very clear about it. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.